got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait. Just you wait. He's not. He's a German spy. Don't be daft. He's a f***ing Jerry. Have you noticed he hasn't said a word? His I have. He not speak English. If he does this with an accent thick in his sauerkraut sauce. You're daft. Tell him. Yeah. Everyone's a hero of their own story, even when you're a baddie. I think the moment that we were in costume and covered in mud, just the whole environment felt like we were in France in the 1940s. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Iaco, and I have my top five, well, top five-ish favorite songs from Hamilton ready to go. I'm Laura Sampson, and I have my top five, and my next top five, my next top five, and my next top five favorite songs from Hamilton ready to go. Hi, I'm David Campbell, and uh, I have five songs from Hamilton ready to go also. Um, but I will say one thing, Marcus. Um, I'm interested that you've gone back to being Marcus E. Acho this week, as opposed to Marcus Acho last week. Was it, did, I say Marcus, did I say Marcus Acho last week? Yes, you did. Then what I need to do is I need to go back into that episode. I'm going to re-edit the E and insert that E into my name because I'm branding myself like Samuel L. Jackson or J.K. Simmons or, um, uh, or oh, speaking, speaking of one of the, um, one of the you know, about Emmys, we're going to be talking about Emmys in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to be branding myself just like, uh, what's his name? I, his name escapes me. Yeah, Sterling K. Brown. Yes. So I'm, I'm Sterling K. Brown. What, yeah. is the, what does the E stand for? The E stands for, I've never said that before. I've never actually told anybody. Well, no, I'm, I'm lying. Eager. Eager, it stands for eager. No, the E stands for Enenche. So it's, it's Marcus Enenche Ako. So it's a long story as to what the E actually stands for. Um, but uh, we, won't, we won't trouble the listeners with what that E is for today because we want to wrap things up really quickly as this is, well, the last episode of the, for, the, for, this, um, for this term, if you will, this season, if you will, uh, as we're going to be sort of jumping into a little break. We'll take a little vacation. Us on the show, we'll take a tiny little vacation just for a month, just to, I don't know, venture out to wherever we can while the COVID lockdown lets us to do so. Um, but we'll take a little break just so we can refresh ourselves. Um, the, the podcast episode will still have more episodes going to cover us over the, the, uh, the month. And we will definitely be back in September um, refreshed, reinvigorated with brand new guests, brand new topics to talk about. Um, one of the topics we're going to talk about today 
we'll start off with, uh, before we dive into Hamilton, is, uh, is the Emmys. Uh, the Emmys, uh, Emmy nominations got, uh, were dropped this week. Uh, I mean, David, let's go with you. What did you think about some of the nominations that were made this week? I was impressed, actually. Um, Mandalorian was in there. Watchmen was in there. Um, a, RuPaul's Drag Race was in there as well. Um, something, uh, a program that uh, was heartily recommended to us by a little guest that we had not too long ago. And I'm still... Harvey Halfpenny. Yes. Harvey Halfpenny. Yes. yes, that's right. And uh, I'm wondering if you've actually watched any episodes, but you can tell us about that later. Um, and a program that I came across on Netflix by accident, well, someone recommended that I watch an episode and I found it very, very funny. It's called Nailed It, um, half hour episode, half hour cake making episode. And I never thought that would get nominated for an enemy and it's been nominated for two. So, you know, um, there are some surprises in there. Um, Adam Driver and Eddie Murphy for Saturday Night Live in the- Yeah actor in a comedy series these are again mostly american tv shows uh, that are obviously getting uh, emmys because that emmys tends to focus on uh, american tv shows although there are a number of british shows that have made the you know leap across the pond but the main ones in particular that have done so uh british product this year is mainly killing eve killing eve is the one that um, that has made that impact from the from Britain, uh, written or not not necessarily written, but executive produced um, by Phoebe Waller Bridge. She's one of the executive producers, but it's also executive produced by uh, Sandra O, oh, who plays the lead Eve, um, and Villanelle is played by J- Jodie Comer. I keep I keep forgetting her name. Jodie Comer plays Villanelle. I think it's a brilliant series. I I think that show should rock it. I don't know if it will. T- because there are a number of other strong contenders uh, this year as well. For example, in Outstanding Drama Series, you have Better Call Saul, uh, which is on Netflix. It's a spin-off from, uh, from Breaking Bad. Then it's Killing Eve. Then there's Ozark, which is also on Netflix. Then you have Stranger Things, also on Netflix. Um, again, great show. It's, you, it's literally just Netflix just stepped in and just said, look, just, oh, just nominate. It's, an, it's a Netflix show. Because in that category alone, you have Better Call Saul, which is Netflix. Well, technically it's AMC, but you can get it on Netflix. Um, then you have Ozark, which is st- strictly Netflix. You have Stranger Things, which is Netflix. You have The Crown, which is Netflix. Um, I thought it was a- The Crown is UK though, right? Yes, that's, that's right. You're right. So, so The Crown as well. So you have those two that are punching for the UK. Although you do have Succession, which has a huge British cast led by Brian Cox, uh, which, but it's an American production. It's HBO. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, producer Dave, uh, Star Wars Mandalorian, which is on Disney+, Plus, uh, is also uh, nominated as well. Mandalorian is a recent TV show but it was going to get nominated. The, the, buzz, the fact that it, it, you know, it produced the Baby Yoda meme, which is basically captured, ca- you know, the, the picture of Baby Yoda captured everyone's imagination. So it was definitely going to get nominated. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a strong set of films or TV shows, sorry, that are in competition. I basically hope Killing Eve does very well 
but I, my my money, I'm still I'm still going for Better Call Saul. I love Better Call Saul. I I think it's an amazing show. It doesn't get the kind of credit that it does that it deserves. Um, Ozark, everybody who watches it recognizes that it's amazing, and a lot of people talk about it. So I so while I love it, I still root for Better Call Saul. Anyway. That's my that's my take on what I would want from the Emmys. Uh, Laura, let's go to you. What, uh, which uh, TV show actor actress would you want to get good recognition from the Emmys this year? Well, like last year, I really hope that Rachel Brosnahan and Tony Shalhoub get um, you know get recognition for uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Big Little Lies as well. There aren't quite as many nominations as last year, and most of them are supporting actresses. But, you know, all of these actresses support each other. It's just a completely wondrous thing. So I'm, so I'm hoping that that gets enough nominations to just give it muscle to get through to at least another two series rather than just another one. Regina King for Watchmen, uh, lead actress in a limited series or movie. Um, she, she just gets my vote above Octavia Spencer for Self Made, which I watched right at the beginning of lockdown. Mrs. America, you know I'm one of Kate Blanchett's biggest fans. I love everything she does, but I haven't yet seen Mrs. America. It's available on BBC iPlayer. I just haven't had time to get round to it. But it's um, it's had a fair few nominations in this year's Emmys, which will, you know, put it to the front of my queue. So really, it's all it's all about uh, actresses for me. You're absolutely right. I've, I've seen the first episode of Mrs. America and I think um, Kate Blanchett, just, she plays very, in this first episode anyway, she plays very understated, very subtle. She's terrific in it. Um, and, and I want to, I, I still keep the people that I want to win, but I want to tag on from something that you mentioned. I think Regina King is beautiful. And I think Regina King should win because Watchmen was a fantastic piece of work. Producer Dave, who, who are you rooting for in the Emmys this year? Um, well, I'm rooting for Mandalorian because I really enjoyed that, that show. Um, I'm disappointed that um, Doom Patrol didn't show up in there, but uh, hey-ho, you can't get everything. You can't have everything. Uh, and I'm actually surprised, and I'm willing them on for getting a, a nomination that's nailed it because um like i said it's uh, quite a funny series it's uh, and the host she is um <laughs> she is a very much a character she she near enough makes that show once you've watched her doing that show you 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 buy into her if you see what i mean it's just an extremely funny series and she just holds it together because it could always that, that show could always fall apart. Hollywood, I still haven't finished watching, so I, I want to watch that. And watch, Watchmen, again, <clears throat> another one that I want to finish watching as well. So you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. I'm David, producer Dave Campbell. We're running, <laughs> we're <laughs> running through uh, some of our conversations about uh, the Emmy nominations this year. Uh, we're going to jump into our next segment, which is Film and TV News, where we'll be talking to uh, the cast and crew behind the, the uh, war film that's coming out, World War II film coming out called uh, uh, Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk. And then straight after that, we'll be doing our top five favorites. And this week, it's going to be top five favorite songs from Hamilton. But more to come on that. For now, Film and TV News. <laughs> 
listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And we have with us the cast and crew uh, behind the movie, uh, Behind the Line. Um, In fact, I will let them all introduce themselves. We'll start with the director, then the producer, and then the stars of of the film. Uh, So if the director would like to go for it first, go for it. Hi, my name is Ben Mole, and I'm the director of uh, Behind the Lines, Escape to Dunkirk, which is out on, I think, the 3rd of August. Is that right, Lucinda? Lucinda's our producer. Yes, that's right. It's actually Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk, Ben, but um, good, good. (laughs) What did I call it? Behind the Lines. Lines? Oh, Behind the Line. Yeah, okay, yes, yeah. That, that, I, actually, I said line, that's a, that's a, uh, that's an audio glitch. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, hi guys. Yeah, my name's Lucinda Rhodes Tuckra, owner of Picture Perfect Production Company and producer of Behind the Line Escape to Dunkirk, which is correct, Ben. It is out August the 3rd. <laughs> I got that part right. <laughs> and let's go with the character who plays uh, Chantel and then the character who plays Billy. Cool. I'm Jen Marsden and I'm, I play Chantal. Hi, I'm James Haynes and I play uh, the role as Billy in Behind the Line. Excellent. Thank you, all of you, and welcome uh, to... I, I, I thought I had made a mistake when I said Behind the Line and, uh, and Ben, uh, the director, corrected me. But uh, yes, it's great that uh, I, I was vindicated that I was actually... I did my research. Uh, so, Ben, let's start with yourself. Um, tell us, what is Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk all about? So uh, what we wanted to make was a, uh, action, a war action movie that told the story of some prisoners of war in the Second World War who get captured by the Nazis, who we don't like, and uh, arrange an escape and, and try to get home. Uh, so we wanted to do a movie that, that had lots of action and, and uh young men facing very difficult situations as those people were facing in 1940 at, at, the, at the start of the war. And we wanted to also make a film that had a lot of heart and that could get people really cheering and jumping on the seats and punching the air at the end when, when these guys escape. So there was a real journey that starts with, with, with nervous young soldiers waiting for war to come and then ends up with them kind of coming of age, I would say, and, and becoming full rounded adult characters as they decide either to go through with the escape or sacrifice themselves so that their uh, comrades can live. So it's really a story about what happens to ordinary people when they get put into these horrific, ordinary, un, sorry, extraordinary circumstances, the like of which I hope no one certainly on this show, but uh, none of our listeners would ever have to go through themselves. Uh, thank you very much, for, Ben, for that, uh, that nice, concise uh, description of the project. Lucinda, I want to throw to you. How did this project uh, come about? So this project came about when uh, Ben Moll and myself went to um, Berlin for um, European film market. We've been discussing um, a couple of projects, uh, both... Uh, World War II projects, and we approached some um, financiers and also a sales agent and distribution company called 101 Films, Andy Taylor there, uh, is a good friend of ours now, and uh, the collaboration grew from there. They needed a World War II movie, we had one, so that we decided to partner for this, for this film. So 
So thanks to Berlin, really, and the film market. And I just it was great. Thought- I want to follow up with that question as well, because Lucinda and uh, Ben, uh, this film sort of comes off of the back of a previous project you're working on, which is uh, We Go In At Dawn, which is sort of also a World War II movie. Uh, it's also a war movie um, with some of the actors or cast from this uh, picture. Is there any connection between the two projects thematically or, st- or story-wise? Uh, is there any connection between the two? So there's a there's kind of a connection in that they both deal with uh, moral issues about how you behave in a war situation. So in that sense, they're connected, but there's no character or story connection. The, also, the kind of the fun thing about them is one happens in the first week of the war and one happens in the last week of the war. Sorry, weeks a bit strong. Last first month of the war and the last months of the war. So you get to see a kind of top and tail one. So one of them is kind of about a loss of innocence. That's the one at the beginning. And one of them is about a someone who's more tired of war learning how to go home. Excellent. Um, I will come back to a question about the those two and maybe a connection with that uh, in a second. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus D. Acco. And I'm Laura Sampson. And I've got a question too, actually, about... It. Um, kind of following on from what from the last question what is it about war that makes you want to tell these moral stories through through war I know war kind of gets people at their best and their worst and at their most stressed I guess um, having to make life and death decisions but you know why were you drawn to war rather than I don't know emergency rooms or uh, other sort of high stress life and death situations. There's a real, I, I can answer this pretty quickly, I think, and we discovered this as we were putting the script and the casting and everything together. And w- what we learned is that there are automatic stakes, really serious stakes built into the architecture of a story about the Second World War that just aren't there, even in a casualty room, even in stuff that really ma- Obviously, there are other environments where where issues really matter, and we can see that happening in the world at the moment. I mean, that's that goes without saying, and there are really important things to be done. But with that Second World War thing, there's 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 things you don't need to explain to the audience, like millions and millions of people dying that are just there, inbuilt into the architecture of the story that don't need explaining, that might need explaining in a emergency room. Like, you know, well, who is the boyfriend? Who's the girlfriend? Why does the mother, were they really driving the car? What were they, you know, all that kind of thing that you might get in a, in an emergency room story. The inner story about the Nazis and the war, you don't need to do that explaining. So that's kind of done for you. And then you can focus then down into the characters and the actual small human details. So weirdly about picking a big canvas like the war, you actually get to be very specific about human emotions and human details. So it's kind of, there's a kind of irony about that, that, that you, you, cause you don't have to explain too much. You can really drill into what people are feeling and that always makes for a good story. Absolutely. Um, moral ambiguity of, of war in general too, sort of, uh, I don't know, stirs things up even more. Um, so they're, so people are having their own stories and you know, as somebody who's seen the World War films before or thought about World War II, yeah. Um, there's, it's all going on on a much bigger scale 
everything that ev ev all of the problems that people are having one to one i have uh you know you can times them by a million or 10 million and that's the size of a war i guess and absolutely and and i think world war ii is pretty unique in that respect if it was vietnam or iraq or the europeans fighting all over the world for the last 300 years and ruining everything for everybody those are very very ambiguous uh, situations or moral situations whereas certainly elements of world war ii had a pretty clearly defined moral compass overriding it that that that, that sets it apart i think from other conflicts I, I like the, the idea, but um, would you so far would you speak to uh, Ben Mould, the director of Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk, uh, and producer Lucinda Rhodes Thakra of the film Behind the Line, Escape to uh, Dunkirk. I like the idea, Ben, that you just said, where you sort of have templates when it comes to the Second World War, where literally from if you open up the movie with two scene with one scene where you just have two characters and just based on their uniform alone, you can you pretty much the audience immediately knows sort of who they need to back, I guess. Most of the audience would need to know that when you see a, an SS officer and either a British officer or an, an American officer, majority of the case, you're looking towards the American officer, the British officer as being uh, the good guy and the SS officer as being uh, the bad guy. Uh, so I, lo I, I love those that template that you're using. I wanna also bring in um, two other guests. Um, we have uh, James Haynes who plays Billy and uh, Jennifer, as Jennifer Martin, I don't want to mistake you, mistakenly pronounce your name. Uh, Jennifer, I want to start with you. You play a character called Chantel. Tell us about Chantel. Um, so Chantel is, uh, she is a, a French woman living in France um, during the war with her father. Um, and she is kind of, she's, she starts the film as quite, um, I guess, innocent to the proper horrors of war. Like they're, they're there, but they're not quite on her doorstep yet and um when billy and danny uh show up at her doorstep they bring that with her and then her whole life has changed in a matter of like a couple of hours really which sets her on this um a journey to for justice basically for justice for herself and her family uh, and you say billy obviously played by james haynes james yes james yeah. so a nice way to introduce james haynes james talk about billy for us uh, so Billy is a soldier um, and he ends up um, being with Sam, who is who's played by Danny. And we go on this massive journey um, where we have our first contact with the enemy. And um, Billy's quite a uh, soft character. Uh, he's quite vulnerable and he's a very loyal character. And it is just this massive journey that him and Danny undertake uh, where they get captured by uh, the Nazis and they have to try and plan their escape. But uh, Billy um, was an absolute pleasure to play and um, I'm grateful for it every day. <laughs> and I want to ask you, James, how did you get into the character of Billy? What sort of, what, what was your, your process to get into the character of a second world war soldier um so it was i have to say it was it was relatively easy once we went to the sets the sets were amazing um they really captured um the scenes so um i was really nervous it being my first feature film i was really nervous when i i started um but when we got there 
Um, everything was so good. The characters were all like like beautifully written. Basically, just the actors were amazing, and it's so easy to get in straight into that character when you have actors around you and actresses that are so good with the lines. Like I remember my first scene um, with Jen, and I remember when we were first talking, and it just got to a point where she said one of them lines and it just hit me and you just feel like you're there and you feel like you're experiencing what you're acting. And I'd say that it was mainly the actors and the actresses um, that were on set. They were all amazing. And yeah, just the sets were beautiful. Uh, Jennifer, you had a good director as well. Yeah, I, I, I was going to come to that. I want to come to the, the, about the directing and the writing as well. So, Ben, I'm coming back to you in just a second. Uh, Jennifer, I want to come to you. <clears throat> the same similar question that I asked to James about getting into the head of the character yeah. of Billy. Um, what was your what was your process getting into the head of this French woman who's stuck in the in what is? I, I guess we could look at the environment that we're in right now, the state of you know lockdown and and the pandemic and the protests, et cetera. So it's, it's unprecedented, if you will. Similar situation for this French woman in the Second World War, where basically the country she's in, she's, she's under threat every second of the day. How did you get into that character? Um, I think it's similar to what James said with um, having such an amazing set and other actors. And we're all, I think the moment that we were in costume and covered in mud and you're actually... I think when we walked onto set, um, that was when you actually felt it. And like having our fantastic director, Ben, he created this, like the scene that James was talking about earlier, um, just the whole environment. The second that we walked into, onto set, it felt like we were in France in the 1940s. Um, yeah. And, you know, she is actually getting into the mind. I guess it is very similar thinking about being in a quarantine where danger is, you know, on the outskirts there. Um, yeah, there is any second something could happen. Um, I mean, it's not like a world war, you know, uh, but similar. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. And that brilliant director yeah. everyone's talking about so far is, uh, is Ben Mole, director of Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk. Ben, you also wrote uh, the script. You, you also credited as having written the script uh, for this movie. I'm going to ask you the same sort of question. Um, what themes were you trying to explore? You mentioned um, some of the themes earlier. What sort of was your, were your driving passion in writing the script for this particular movie? So putting this movie together, and of course it's a team effort, is uh, the, the thing that's a beat with, with between... Uh, Danny, played by Sam Gittins, James and Mark Jennifer, the, the soldier and the French girl, who, where they're about to be captured by the Germans and they're not sure what to do. And then Danny the, decides to surrender. And he says this line, he says, we're, we're not heroes, Billy. We're just soldiers. We're not heroes. And I really liked this idea of the citizen soldier, of the, of the everyday person who was put in an extraordinary situation, having to make horrible choices about themselves and the people around them. And, and, and that's not heroic. In, back in the, you know, in the over previous generations of war films, it was all about kind of a John Wayne idea of what a hero is. And I think now audiences are much more sophisticated. It's a much more 
some, uh, a nuanced idea of what would you do in that situation? What would an ordinary person do uh, it, it faced with these horrible choices? And the answer is not be a hero. You're frightened, you're scared, you don't know what to do. You don't know who everyone is. Antagonisms come out. We had a Northern Irish uh, character uh, who was being, you know, uh, um, uh, who got in, continuously getting into arguments with a French Algerian character over their heritage and ethnicity and all these kind of very kind of everyday modern ideas still happened amongst the people uh, rather than it just like kind of being heroes and villains in that way against this backdrop of a very clear moral thing don't kill people it's that's wrong and, and that's pretty much this sort of thought I wanted to bring up. James, uh, you have something to add to it? Yeah, I had to say with the with the the writing and and Benmo's like direction the whole way, every character in this film goes on a journey and and grows throughout the whole of it. I did notice that when all of us were acting during the uh, during the sets and during the days that every character goes on a journey. Um, and it was just amazing to see everyone go like on that journey with each other. And I do have to say that it was beautifully written and it, it's so easy to um, go on that journey with the amount of people that were helping and on set with us. That, thank you for that. Everyone, this is, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And so far you've just heard uh, uh, James Haynes, uh, the actor who plays the character of Billy. Uh, we, before that we're hearing uh, Jennifer Martin, who played the character of Chantel, uh, directed beautifully by Ben Moles, uh, director and writer of the film Behind the Line Escape to Dunkirk. And we also have producer Lucinda Rhodes-Takra uh, with us, who's going to be talking. Uh, uh, I want to ask a question in a second, but um, Laura, you've got a question to ask? Yes, and it's also, I think, probably mostly for Lucinda, although Ben must have been involved as well. I wanted to ask about the casting process. Were there any adventures or, um, you know, how did you find your characters? Can I, can I just say one thing there? It's the most important thing in the whole process is getting that casting right. If you get that right, and Lucinda's going to talk about how that happened, kind of everything else is gravy after that once you get the casting right that's all you need and, and, and Lucinda's going to talk I guess about how we did that. Thank you. It's one of my favorite processes um, uh, through uh, filmmaking is 100% Ben getting the cast right and actually as Ben was um, penning the treatment he had Sam Gittins in mind for the lead um, of Danny Finnegan straight away so it was really about Sam was the first cast our first casting for this film and once he was on board it was easier to build the rest of of the casting around him and we like to obviously bring in you know different different faces different accents to keep to keep it interesting as well i've worked with james haynes uh, for many many years i used to teach him actually when he was young and um rebellious still young and rebellious, but growing up a little bit. So um, I straight away said, look, uh, there's a young guy that um, I've worked with previously and I'd really like to self-tape him for the role of Billy. We must have been through 60 to 70 self-tapes for Billy. It was one of the hardest roles to cast because of 
such a journey that that character goes on. Um, uh, with regards to Jen Martin, I'd worked with Jen in the past as well, and she was a perfect choice for Chantal. With the other lads, I call them lads because they're, um, you know, they were quite rowdy. We had Ryan Winsley, Michael Elkin, Guy Faulkner, Antonio Bastorf, and Jake J. Miniani, and Charlie Hyatt as our POWs. And it really was what you see on screen with the camaraderie, they really were like that off screen as well. And Ben and I have worked with a lot of those before. So uh, they were perfect casting. We knew that they would gel. Uh, they all brought something different to the film. Uh, two of them obviously chose to do different accents. Uh, Ryan Winsley wanted to try something different. So did Michael Elkin. And because we trust these guys as actors, uh, Ben and I said, okay, well look, just be good <laughs> with the accents, make sure they're correct. But you know, feel free to explore the characters and, and choose to have different choices. So we've got the villains as well, which is Sam Newman and also Tim Barrington. Uh, I've worked with those two guys previously as well, and they both speak fluent German, which is helpful as they're playing um, our Nazis. So they were yeah. perfect choices as well. And together they're brilliant, aren't they, Ben, those two? Sam and Tim. Yeah, really difficult to do that role in a where uh, that baddie role with a nuance and not become theatrical and melodramatic and, and a Disney villain. And they both brought a, a real tragedy to it, which is not excusing what those people did uh, 70 years ago, but it is it, they built they brought, brought a humanity and a com, in a conflict to them. Everyone's a hero of their own story, even when you're a baddie. That's a very good point. Absolutely. And, and in fact, I wanted to use that as a jump off point to, to ask both Ben and Lucinda this question. Um, how, how long did the process take from the conception of the idea? I mean, you, you were given the, uh, the prompt to, to produce such a project. From the conception of the idea to today, how long has that process been? Uh, either Ben or Lucinda, whoever wants to take the, the question. So I'm just going to start, Ben, because um, I've got 4%, so I might need to change to a different device. So um, from when Ben started penning the film, we started shooting three and a half, half months after the treatment was born. So he wrote the script. Uh, we cast it. We put the crew together, put the finance together, put the whole package together within three and a half months. And we were shooting and we'd wrapped after four and a half months and then went straight to post. So that was really quick, really quick. Um, and then obviously we had a long time in post-production because we were doing other things at the same time, but it was lovely to have that creative breath in, in the post-production um, time to allow us to pull everything together. And we had a couple of pickups and things, but from treatment to the end of principal photography, four and a half months was, uh, was a wild and fast journey. Um, it's non-stop. Yeah, that's an independent. Yeah. I'm going to jump in there. Independent films, well, all films are really difficult to get made. Um, uh, really, they, they are. There was, uh, there's a film on Netflix at the moment that went through apparently all the A-list directors and then no one could get it made. It, big, big names uh, can't get things made, let alone an independent movie. So when you get a chance that someone wants to pay some money towards the budget and you've got a window you've got to move really really quickly because that doesn't come along very often and i'm sure a lot of our listeners who are in, who are trying to get films together and 
are sitting on films that have been years, possibly uh, longer, trying to get it made if they ever do get made. So to have a window where, where somebody actually wants to make your movie or wants to uh, help you develop a movie that is going to actually get out there is, is you, you can't look that gift horse in the mouth and you've got to race through it. So it was really tight. And obviously with more time, you have more time to reflect on things. So the film, I think, kind of I hope benefits from it. It feels like it has super energy and it, it's a little rough around the edges in places, but that's because it's raced right through. And I hope the, the energy and the heart of the, of the production pace, basically, gives it an energy that, uh, that, that you, you maybe don't get in something that's taken years to put together and, you know, 10 months to shoot. That's a very good point because, uh, as you mentioned, other productions it take years to come. Even even with with investment and money and all that kind of backing behind it, will probably take about a year, two years sometimes to actually get um, you know produced and made. Uh, Jennifer, I, I haven't I've spoken to you about your experience uh, in features. I know James, you mentioned this is your first feature film. Jennifer, uh, if is this your first feature film? If it's not. How did you uh, how did you encounter how did you deal with sort of that fast paced production technique going in and making sure that you know that you you have to get things going really quickly how did you manage to deal with that? Um, so I've done a few features before, um, but I've never shot one this fast. But I think you know what we and we're in such good hands with Lucinda and Ben that. Even though we were shooting fast, I, I didn't feel that fast at some point. Like Ben was able to take his time with certain scenes that needed it. Um, and things that were shot fast, you know, we were just trusting Ben and Lucinda that what we had done was great, which hopefully it will be. And I'm pretty confident it will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, is, it can be a little, it can feel a little bit stressful because you do want to give your best performance and sometimes there is not a lot of time, but... I don't think I ever felt like, felt rushed, to be honest. And for James, this seems to be a baptism of fire for you because your first project, you, it's going to be completely different. I, I don't have to tell you that. I'm sure Lucinda has probably explained this. Ben and Jennifer will tell you this. Um, sort of, what did you feel as this being your first project? Did you learn uh, as a first, uh, you know, for your first feature? What did you learn that you're going to take away from this to work on future projects? I have to say, I was so nervous at the start. Um, but it was just such an amazing experience. I had um, Ben, the director, who literally just like shielded me through it all. And he was so honest with my performance. And so like, right, this needs a bit of work. This might be slid, like a tad over dramatic. Like you need to touch it down a little bit. And so it was good to get that kind of feedback because you learn throughout like it all. And um, I obviously have experience in theatre, so I have that slight overdramatic style. Um, so it was a, a massive, massive change for me. And I felt like I grew um, throughout the, uh, the film. And um, it was just like an, an amazing experience that um, hopefully more people are lucky enough to have. Um, because I literally, before that, I was at uni and I had no idea. I hadn't been acting for about uh, six years. Um, and then out of the blue, Lucinda called me and was like, can you put this self-tape in? Um, and I was like, okay, then didn't really expect much. But um, yes, it was just, it, 
obviously being surrounded by um, the actors and actresses, Jen, um, Sam, who were so good throughout it all, helped me so much. Um, and when you have actors that and actresses that good, um, you kind of just feel everything, every emotion. And yeah, I have to say it was mainly down to, to Ben, Lucinda, who helped me through it all and um, how honest and open they were with my performance. So when he said, oh my God, that was really good. I knew that I just done something amazing. And then when it needed work, he would be honest with me also. So I have to say, um, it, I learned so much throughout it. Um, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, Ben? I think even on, uh, even on your self-tapes, didn't you do like six or eight? We kept sending you back to do it again before we even put you in the thing because with notes and with help because we knew it was a, you know your first time and and I tell you that experience of going back and redoing the self tapes really gave us the confidence that you would take the notes and grow and learn and and take that advice so all credit to you. There's a thing about filmmaking which is really it's a real palaver it's a hassle there's lots of people standing around and time is important but the minute the bit. The only bit that really matters is once you're shooting. Once the cameras are rolling, all the rest of that goes out of the window. And then nothing I can do or Lucinda can do or the money or anybody else can do anything about. It's just up to the actors. And that's what got us through such a hectic schedule was them investing in those minutes while the cameras were shooting and working off each other and investing in the characters. And, and, and they just did, you can't beat that. Without that from them, doesn't matter how slick the rest of a production is, you, you, you're never going to make it work. Okay, Lucinda, you wanted to say one more thing before uh, Laura wraps us up? Yeah, what I wanted to say, just going back on what James has said about um, the other actors and actresses and obviously Ben helping him through the process and him being nervous at the beginning. Every single actor that we had on this film was extremely unselfish. And that's unusual because not all actors, but some actors, you know, can be very selfish in their performance and, and obviously focus on themselves, where all of our cast wanted everybody else to be as good and on the same level and bring the amount of energy um, to the screen. So they, they allowed each other to, to take their time and they praised and they were living, the boys were actually living together as well um, as, as being on, on set together. And, and I think it really shows. Um, and it, it was just great to have unselfish actors working together and helping to build, you know, people like James and even Charlie Hyatt, that's a young actor as well. He's, he's only 26. I've got the age right. Um, and it was just lovely to see, to see them all working together. It was great. We had a great team. Sounds like such a great experience. I cannot wait to see this movie now. I was quite excited before, but now I'm even more excited. And it's coming out next week, isn't it? Could you remind us how people can watch the film, uh, where they can find it, and how they can find you. So the film is out on August the 3rd and it'll be out in all major stores such as Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Asda, HMV. You can also order it online now from Amazon and HMV. Um, you can find my company, Picture Perfect, on Twitter at PicPerfLimited. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Pitch Perfect Movies. So please um, come and follow, come and join. We're putting up behind the scenes shots um, until the release on Monday. And send us a message. We've got lots of productions happening. Ben and I are developing things all the time. So please just, just give us a nudge. You know, we'll always look at your showreels or your CVs.
Thank you very much. That was Lucinda Rhodes-Takra. Thank you, uh, director Ben Moll. Thank you, actress Jennifer Martin. And thank you, James Haynes, for joining us, talking about Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm David Campbell. And now we're diving into top five favorites. So our top five favorites this week, top five favorite songs from the musical Hamilton. We're gonna go around the room and discuss on our top fives, going from five all the way down to one. We'll start with Laura Sampson, who will say her number five and number four. Then uh, producer Dave will say his number five and four. Then I'll say my five and four. And then we'll go all the way around to our number one. So Laura, what is your number five and four favorite songs from Hamilton? There are so many songs to choose from. There are 46 songs to choose from in Hamilton. I had about 20 favourites when I first saw it in theatre. I had another 20 favourites when I saw it on telly. But since you ask, my, my number five is um, Nonstop. The, the song that happens, it's after the war when all the kind of post-independence backstabbing starts and Hamilton is trying to get ahead as a lawyer particularly representing the new US constitution. And it's just really catchy, love it. And my number four is Wait For It. This, it's kind of the Aaron, Aaron Burr's character's heart song. And that's basically what his entire character and his entire life is all about, kind of waiting for the right moment to do something. And then when the right moment comes, it's too late. And it's one of the things that makes him tragic rather than just a villain. That's my number five and number four. That's very good. Those good, very strong, strong, um, strong choices. Uh, Producer Dave, what's your number five and number four? I'm going to qualify this by saying I have not seen this show as often as you two. So um, my number five, um, purely from the comedic point of view, um, I like the way it was I like the way it came across. Um, You'll be back. Uh, by Absolutely the, brilliant. Yeah. That's got my Wooden Spoon Award because it earwormed me for so long. <laughs> it started irritating my ears. Yes. Um, I, I like the way Jonathan Groff sang it and the way he enunciated certain English words in there. I just thought, Beck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You'll> be back. <laughs> so, so I, I just thought, yeah, that was, worth, that was worthy of a nomination there. My number four, um, this one's hard, but I think I'm going to say it is helpless. Um, yes, that's... Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember who that's it is. That's yeah, Eliza Schuyler's song, When She Falls In Love With Hamilton, right? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Um, I do it's one of the only pure happy songs in the whole thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the one. Thank you very much for that. See, I told you I don't know it as well as you two. I, I chose the songs, but uh, yeah, I listened to them and chose those ones. Yeah, I was just How looking... about you? 
I was just looking for I was looking for her name. Um, I, I I know the helpless. In fact, helpless is Philippa uh, Sue. Philippa Sue. That's her name. Uh, she sang helpless. Uh, that is Jacob's. In J Jacob, my son Jacob Akko. He uh, gave his top five as well, and his number five was helpless. So uh, yeah, he'll be happy to, to to know that one. Anyway, my number five. I was gonna do the whole double up, but I've seen so far you guys haven't doubled up. And so I won't cheat. I don't want to give an honorable, honorable mention to the Hamilton pamphlet because mainly because of the bit where they go, "You're never gonna be president now," and he's, you see, he's just going and 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 making it rain with pamphlets. And I think it's amazing. I'm gonna put my number five is "Satisfied" by Renee Ellis uh, Goldsberry, uh, and that song when she sings it, which is, and I love the way they they play it as well because it happens after the wedding. Uh, where Hamilton gets married to her sister Eliza, and she's giving the uh, the best man toast, if you will, and they do a rewind where they rewind to the sort of like the scene before the wedding, and she says the sings a song, uh, um, satisfied. It the talent that um, Renee has in rapping that song really quickly, it's un unbelievable. It's amazing. And it's heart-wrenching as well. I love that song. That's why it's my number five, Satisfied. My number four, um, hey, I've got to give uh, David Diggs so much love. Um, so what did I miss? His return as, you know, uh, uh, as Thomas Jefferson. And where he basically, because again, it's something they do, they switch three actors in particular, no, four actors in particular, play different characters in the first, uh, in the first, um, a part of the of the stage show when they go to intermission the second half they switch characters and David Diggs uh, David Diggs comes back as Thomas Jefferson and he kills it with this sort of jazzy um, uh, New Orleans type song uh, so so what did I miss it's an amazing song check it out anyway uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM Laura is about to tell us her number three and number two favorite songs from the musical Hi, my number three is the war song, The World Turned Upside Down. It's got really amazing kind of folk roots to it, but it's super fast and it's, it's super exciting. Everyone gets a voice in it. Um, all of the people who you want to be together on the battlefield are there and they win. And, and you just really get that feeling. It's kind of going from a sort of um, a kind of, modal minory sort of feelings and like straight to m major triads bang 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 we won we won we won it's so joyful i what i love it and um my number two is um washington on your side uh which comes up a few times during the play and it sort of it says quite a lot about the passage of time and also quite a lot about my favorite character in the musical which is Washington and it was a toss-up between Washington on your side and Washington's song about uh about um saying goodbye to, about saying goodbye to the presidency and letting someone else get get to it because this is going to be a democratic elected nation um so and he's just you know the the person who plays Washington I've seen two different people play him, but he's always got kind of a baritone, solely soulful voice, and it's really emotional. And I just got carried away on it. Uh, I've gone on too long, but that's my tip, number three and number two. 
Excellent. Number three and two. Um, my number three is Guns and Ships. That's um, got that that speed rap you were talking about, and uh, yeah, it's 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 very very noticeable that song. And uh, the actor can't remember his name who does that speed rap. I mean, it's only a short speed rap, but it is fast. And one of the things I have to say about that show is for people who who don't know very much about Hamilton, yes, it does include rap, but it was a very, very useful tool because the whole point of it was getting across a lot of information. And sometimes the information that has to be gotten across is so much, the best way of doing it was rap. And in that speed rap, you got a lot of information across in a very short period of time. So yeah, that's my number three. My number two um, is a double header. I couldn't decide. My shot, and take a break. My shot, because it has, it resonates several times during the show for various reasons, including the final part where it's a duel. And take a break, um, stuck in my mind because when I heard it, this is uh, Hamilton's wife singing to Hamilton to take a break. And when I heard it, it shot me back to another musical I'd seen, which was Jesus Christ Superstar. It's not the same song at all, but a sentiment is there. One was saying, take a break, don't get worried. Just take yourself away from the situation and have a rest, stay with us and calm yourself and relax. And the same thing was, which was Mary Magdalene was saying, which was try not to get worried. So it immediately took me back to that. So yeah, my three, my three guns and ships, my two double header, my shot and take a break. All right, my number three, Everyone give it up for Americans, foreign, frightened Frenchmen. That's my number three, and that's Guns and, Sh uh, Guns and Ships. Lafayette, played by David Diggs. I, dude, I have an ultimate respect for that dude. Uh, that little intro bit wasn't him, but the bit that he follows it up with, I'm not even going to try because I've been practicing that for weeks now. I think I'm very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah you were supposed to do that rap today. I, I know, but we only have two minutes. And I can't, I'm, I'm, <laughs> Guns and Ships is my number three. Um, I, I want to say, say honorable mention with the cabinet battles, both number one and two, because that's David Diggs uh, versus Lin-Manuel Miranda. Both of them, amazing, great. Anyway, my number two, is I'm lumping all three of uh, Jonathan Groff's um, songs in there. You'll Be Back is the first one. It's fantastic. All of them. They're all in the same sort of, uh, in the same structure, the same song, but obviously different lyrics. And it's great. Um, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Laura, what's your number one favorite song from Hamilton? My number one favorite song from Hamilton is History Has Its Eyes On You. It's kind of gospely. It's completely um, at one with the with the kind of the narrative thrust of the whole story. My number one is uh, Right Hand Man. And I'm not going to go into it because we've got so little time. Marcus? Uh, right Hand Man comes straight after, um, after Guns and Ships. Again, it's a fantastic song. So my number one is, is a doubleheader. It's a Leslie Odom Jr. doubleheader. Laura has already spoken about the first one, which is Wait For It, which is a wonderful, I don't want to say, I want to say Calypso. It's not really Calypso. It's more um, Caribbean style. Um, 
uh, uh, ballad where he, where he sings about his tactic, which is waiting for it. He's always waiting to see what happens. He's waiting to see where the chips lay and so on. And then the doubleheader is the, the, the second part of the doubleheader is him where he reveals his, actually, his actual true motivation. So he doesn't have any real beliefs that he stands upon. Uh, what he does, like I said, he is, he's waiting to see where the chips lay. So all he really wants is to be part of the decision process. He wants to be in the room when decisions are made. And that's why my second uh, number one is in them. That's a jazzy hit with where it's him singing about how uh, envious he is of Hamilton, uh, the immigrant, being able to go into a room and make the deals with Thomas Jefferson and and uh, and others and still come out successful. Because that's the whole thing that has been burning uh, Aaron Burr throughout the entire story is the fact that this immigrant, and he always keeps saying that, comes in and basically chases everything. He he keeps talking and keeps ta- st- making a stand where he's the complete opposite. He's more sit back and so on. But every time, Hamilton's always there stating his case and always winning. It's um, so sad though, but a triumph of casting, don't you think? That oh, Aaron absolutely. Burr, is, he's, got the, he's got the better voice, he just sounds smooth and wonderful and beautiful and Lin-Manuel Miranda sound, sounds kind of rodenty most of the time. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda is excellent as the, as the lyricist. I mean, his, his, his portrayal on there as well, he's brilliant. Um, I love the bit where he's making fun of uh, Aaron Burr in different songs as well. It's fantastic. But those are my number ones. Uh, Wait for it and in the room. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to take this time to say thank you very much for listening to us over the years. Um, And the fact that we're taking this break, we are definitely going to be back to keep wrapping with all our uh, our top top five favorites, our film favorites, our TV show favorites, etc., Continue to stay safe um, while we wrap out this episode and we'll be back in September. All that is left to say is thank you very much for listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm David Campbell. Okay, thank you very much for listening. See you in September. Yep, bye. Enjoy your holidays. Son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar The ten dollar Founding father without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter By being a self-starter by fourteen They placed him in charge of a trading charter And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow or barter Then a hurricane came and 
devastation reigned on man Saw his future drip, dripping down the train Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain Well the word got around, they said this kid is insane man Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland Get your education, don't forget from whence you came And the world's gonna know your name Alexander Hamilton